Well, I guess I should have introduced myself. Uh, my name's Adam Simon. Uh, I'm part of the teaching team here at, at Woodside. And, and as, as you can imagine, this morning is kind of a special morning for me because it's been over two years since I've had the pleasure of worshiping with our Romeo family. I mean, it's, and it's wild because it does not feel like it's been that long. And since I'm the only one who's counting, it's two years and four months to be exact. And we're going to jump right into our Bibles this morning. So if you brought them, open them up to Ephesians chapter 3. And before, we read the, um, and before we read the text together, I want to I ask a question. I want to start out with a question. When you're going through something, does your prayer life grow in proportion to the problem? And here's what I mean by that. Every single person in this room right now has either walked through something in the past or you're walking through something right now. And when you're going through it, when life hits, whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is, when life hits or the situation grows or it escalates or it's taking way longer than you ever imagined, do your prayers get bigger as the problem gets bigger? Because the truth is, for some of us, bold, faith-filled prayers flow easy in the beginning. And we're okay with the fact that, that life doesn't, that doesn't always work out the way we want, that, it, that, that, that life's not going to come without some turbulence because we expected it. God never promised a smooth ride. But what he did promise is that he'll be with us and be faithful through it. So we gear up for battle. We hit our war room. We hit that place we pray best, our best, biggest, faith-filled, bold prayers. And then we do the same thing the next day. And the same thing again the day after that. But then the next day comes. And then the next day and nothing happens. And, and maybe it's gotten worse or the situation's intensified. And, and for the first time, that bold faith that you prayed with starts to feel a little shaky as days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months. And we're frustrated, right? It, it can be disorienting. And we start thinking like, like what, what happened to ask and it will be given to you. God, I'm seeking. Why am I not finding? I'm asking according to your will and in your name. So God, why are you not following through with your promise to, to give me what I asked for? And if you've ever been through a trial of any kind or any length, we've all thought those words, right? We've all said those words or we, we, we've at least thought them. And Renee and I felt this firsthand when, when she was pregnant with each of our kids. And I might have shared some of our story before, so forgive me for being redundant if I am. But with each pregnancy, she would get a, a condition known as hyperemesis gravidarum, which is just a fancy medical term for excessive and constant vomiting, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this wasn't just morning sickness. This is a debilitating and life-threatening condition that only 1% of all the women in the world, only 1% of pregnancies get them. And my beautiful bride was part of that lucky 1%. And the hard part was is that it got worse with each pregnancy. And so, so with Autumn, she's 15 now. We, we, you know, we thought, hey, okay, this is how pregnancy goes. There's hormones going on. So she's pretty sick. And then with the twins, Brooklyn and Chloe, you, you, you were like, okay, it's, it's, it's twice as bad because there's two in there, so there's lots of extra hormones in there, so maybe this is just how it goes. And Renee was sick for probably four or five months in bed, and, and then we found out we were pregnant with Lucas around week six. And over the next 31 weeks, we walked through some of the hardest and darkest days of our lives together up to that point. Because because of the vomiting, Renee lost 25 pounds in just a matter of like three or four weeks, weight she certainly didn't have to lose. And eventually she had to be fed through what's called a pick line. It goes in your arm and it goes right into your venous system because she couldn't, she couldn't take anything down. She was depleted of all the nutrients. She was so sick 
that there were days I would just hold her in my arms in, her, in, in our bed and we'd just rock together as she'd cry and pull at her hair and, and even gnash her teeth. And I'll never forget one day in particular, I was, I was just kind of sitting with her <clears throat> in our bed and, and she just breaks down and, and started weeping and, and we weren't really talking about anything or, or, or nothing was really going on at the time. So when I asked her what happened, my heart absolutely broke because she looked into my eyes with despair and she said, it's only been an hour. That's when I realized I had no clue of the, of the mental, physical, and spiritual prison that she was in. She was literally counting the minutes for 31 weeks, praying and pleading and begging God for relief, even for just one hour. And because it, because it went on for so long, she spiraled into a depression that made the word dark look like Disney World. As anxiety, waves of anxiety and panic would, would hit her like a freight train. It was everything to do that we could do to keep our family together. Because remember, we still had three, three little girls all under the age of four at the time who needed daddy and mommy. The threat on her life was so real, we almost lost her three times. Once to dehydration and twice to attempts on her own life. When you watch one of the godliest people you know, one of the people you love most on this planet, someone you would lay your life down in a heartbeat, go through something like that, you'll do anything to fix it. You'll do anything to make it better. And that's especially true as a guy, right? Because I would have given anything to lift this sickness and this darkness off of her so you can imagine as a husband, as a man who's, who's called and, and I swore to protect her and nurture her and, and provide for her, I literally felt handcuffed. I felt powerless to help her as we watched her go through it. So we did the only thing that we knew how to do. We prayed. Man, did we pray. And so many people were praying along with us through that season. Some of them are in this room right now. But since the days kept rolling by and rolling by, prayer didn't seem like it was enough. Or so we thought. It's so easy to get discouraged and frustrated at those times in our lives, and our prayers can feel really small. I mean, we've all been there at some point, right? Like, we've had different scenarios, different pain points, different situations that we've gone through, but we've all been there, and if you haven't, you will. And that's not a threat, it's just life. We live in a world that's broken and tainted by sin and brokenness. Tough stuff is going to happen in our lives. Situations are going to come that we can't control and we don't have the strength to handle. They're going to come. Our hearts are going to be tempted to despair and we're going to be tempted to lose heart. So what do we do? And even in that question right there, kind of tells something about me and, and, and all of us. When we ask the question, what do we do? We always ask that. What do we do? Like the word do being boldface, capitalized, highlighted in, in italics in our lives. We want to do something because we want to know how to fix it. And when we can't, we feel stuck or frustrated because we're a people and we live in a culture and even in the church who think with the, with the right information, we can fix anything. And what we're about to hear from the pen of the Apostle Paul has nothing to do with information. Today's about one thing and one thing only. Coming boldly before the throne of grace and praying bigger. I saw a quote the other day, somebody posted on Facebook by Oswald Chambers, and I thought it was perfect for what we're talking about today. He said, the meaning of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not the answer. And that's exactly what Paul does masterfully here at the end of Ephesians 3. He leads us to the answer. And because, he, because this, text is, it, this, this whole text this morning itself is one big prayer, 
and where each, each, each verse builds on top of itself and cascades on the other. I thought it'd be a good, good time to just read it all the way through and then we'll unpack it, each piece as we go. So look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is so much truth and power packed into these eight little verses. And Paul starts off with three words that he uses kind of like a, a diving board to dive into one of the deepest reservoirs of strength and power and love that we could ever wade into this side of eternity. He starts off with, for this reason. Well, what's the reason? It's the same reason that we've seen over the past few weeks. Paul's writing to a people that he deeply loves. He has deep affection for these people, and they deeply love him. It's a group of Gentile believers in the, in the church at Ephesus that he's a spiritual father over and who he senses are starting to, to lose hope and get discouraged because of what he's going through in prison and what he's suffering for them through. And the reason that he's saying the rest of what he says from this point on is that he prays this powerful prayer. It's connected to everything he just said in chapters 2 and 3 because everything that he said up to this point has been all about the unveiling of the mystery of the gospel. Everything he said is, is all about, about the good news of Jesus Christ for, that both Jew and Gentile are grafted in. That through faith in Jesus, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That through faith in Jesus, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This was God's plan all along. So he says to this church, he says, this is the reason and purpose of my whole life. It's why God called me. It's why God saved me. To declare and reveal the mystery of Christ. It's what I live for and it's what I will gladly die for. And if you back up a few verses in chapter 3, in verse 11 through 13, he basically encourages them. Listen to what he says. He basically, I'm not going to read it, but he says, you need to know that everything's going according to plan. This was the Father's eternal purpose from the beginning. They can physically chain me to a wall, but they cannot chain the Holy Spirit. We just sang about it this morning. There's not a prison wall he can't break through. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I might be constrained physically here, but my heart, guys, is on fire, filled with the love of Christ and with more joy and peace than you can possibly imagine. Believe it or not, I'm good because God's got this. Even in prison, especially in prison, God is with me. He's here. He's got this. And he's filling me with love and power and joy that I want you to experience. The whole reason I can write these words that I'm writing to you is because I want him to do exactly for you what he's doing for me right now. So don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. He says, remember, you have the same Holy Spirit. You have the same access to the Father as I do. Be bold before your Father in glory. You have access with confidence. Pray with confidence. Rest assured that everything I'm about to pray for you is not just available to you, but that God himself wants to lavish it upon you. So read these next words that I write, church, 
slowly. He says, dive in, believe him, experience him. This is the Father's plan for you. And it's what will sustain you through everything, thick or thin. Good times are suffering because you are his. You've been given an unimaginable inheritance, so don't lose heart and keep your head up. And since Paul knows it's easy for us to feel weak and discouraged in the midst of those times, notice what he prays in verses 16 and 17 and encourages us to pray. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's praying, he's teaching us to be, that we can pray to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and that we'd experience the power and the presence in the deepest recesses of who we are, even when our circumstances and even when what we're going through tempts us to believe that we're on our own. We can ask for that power. We can know that we have it. How? According to the riches of his glory. This is the sixth time in three chapters that Paul uses that phrase, the riches of his glory. And it goes without saying that this has nothing to do with wealth or money. It's even better than that. Because the phrase he uses here, listen, that phrase, according to the riches of his glory, literally means according to the fullness of all the Father possesses and owns. Get that in your spirit. According to the fullness of all the Father himself possesses and owns, this is an invitation to come and get everything we need according to the inexhaustible riches of God our Father. And I love that he uses that phrase purposely, according to his riches. He doesn't say out of his riches. And there's a, there's a big difference there, and it has massive implications. So here's an example. That, that, here's an example that might help us to kind of Get our heads around that. So let's say you have a friend who's a multi-multi-millionaire, right? We all have that one friend, right? And, and, and because you responded to God's call uh, on your life to, to go on a mission trip to Ecuador this year, whether it's with Pastor Billy in, in, in September or it's with me leading in November for the Christmas parties, and that's a shameless plug, <laughs> you share with this friend that you're raising support and that, that, that we... You, we they need help with the building projects and they need help, you know, doing these Christmas parties so the poorest of the poor in the dumps and you get to see these kids here and receive the gospel and these families whom otherwise may not have known, you're raising support for that. And as your friend, you're sitting and having coffee with him, you explain it to him and he pulls out his checkbook, or I'm sorry, or Venmo or PayPal, whatever unit of currency you use, but for this we're going to use checkbook because it works better. He looks at you and he says, I think I can help. And you're like, oh man, here it comes. And he looks excited. So he writes the check, he hands it to you, and he writes you a check for 50 bucks. He just gave to you out of his riches, not according to his riches. The next time you see him, he walks up to you, hands you a box. He says, hey, I want you to have this. You open the box up, you look, and it's, it's full of blank signed checks. And he says, take whatever you need, fill them all in. Now he gave according to his riches. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to hear this. I want you to know this and I want you to get it deep inside of you. You have heaven's checkbook in your hand. Paul is giving you the pen and saying, take it, fill it in, whatever you need. It's all yours. Pray bigger. It's yours anyway. You just don't realize you have it. You're his son. You're his daughter. You can't ask for too much. If anyone has kids, okay, they can, they can ask for too much, but this is, with God, you can't ask for too much. 
And even if you think you can, we're going to see in a couple verses later that he's able to do more abundantly, far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Notice where Paul says that he wants it to affect us. We can pray according to his riches that we'd be strengthened with power in our inner being. Again, this is powerful language. Paul's asking that we'd be filled with miraculous strength and ability in places only God himself can reach. It literally means to have excellence of soul. I love that. I think that's an incredible way to put it because it means the exact opposite of what he said in verse 13. It means the exact opposite of to lose heart or to be discouraged, to have excellence of soul no matter what we're going through. That's why there's no to-do list or action steps or three things you're going to take away from this message because we can't do it for ourselves. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit deep in our inner being, and it takes faith because our inner being is a place that we can't crawl inside of and reach, and it's a place only God can move, so we have to trust that he's working. Well, because some of the lingering effects of the, of the three pregnancies and all the stuff that's been going on health-wise in Renee's gut over the past few years, She's been on a barrage, like this whole regimen of probiotics and amino acids and supplements to help restore and repair and, 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 and rebuild the good bacteria in her gut because she basically didn't have any. And it's caused a whole range of issues, like systemically, inflammation, fatigue, all kinds of stuff that's affected her life. And we're trusting as she takes them that slowly they will work, that, that, that they'll heal what they were designed to heal. But sometimes the frustrating thing is she doesn't feel it right away. She doesn't see the effects of it right away. But they are working. They're powerfully working. It just takes time. Sometimes it takes long periods of time. We just have to trust that they're working. I told her every time that she takes that handful of pills that she's, or, the, or, or probiotics, that's an act of worship. It's an act of faith. It's an act of trust that they will work. And just like we don't immediately see all the internal effects of these supplements, we might not always immediately see the way that Jesus Christ works inside of our hearts filling us and, and supernaturally changing us. And then one day, months, or, or months down the road, maybe years down the road, you look at yourself, you look at your life, and you realize, man, it did. He is working. It really did change you because you start to feel differently. You start to react differently. You, you, you love differently. You start to think differently. And there wasn't like this one magical day in particular where it all just clicked and fell into place. It was small, imperceptible changes over time as you trusted in faith that God was working because you took him at his word. And just like all these ordinary mundane mornings where, where Renee chokes down these handful of supplements and didn't really feel a difference, it's in the ordinary everyday moments of life when we bow our knee before the Father and trust that he will do what he promised to do in us. And he will do what he promised to do through us for his glory. I know it's frustrating. I know that sometimes his process is painfully slow but just like probiotics and amino acids work microscopically at the cellular level in places we can't see or reach, so the Holy Spirit of God works inside of us microscopically on the cellular level in the heart. And each imperceptible change repairs and restores and rebuilds and heals and strengthens in ways that we never could imagine from the inside out. That's where real strength is found. And look at verse 17. What's all that strengthening for? 
It's for the sole purpose that Jesus Christ would dwell inside of our hearts through faith. That word dwell literally means to, to make his home and to be fully at home and to settle in and get comfortable. That's the picture that it gives. So Paul's saying, God, strengthen them in their inner being. Build them up. Give them the power in the midst of their circumstances that you might dwell and settle into their hearts down deep more and more as they trust you and walk in faith. That's what the Apostle Paul's praying here. He's inviting us to find real strength and real power in, in the inexhaustible riches of our Father through the power of the Spirit, by faith in His Son, who permanently settles in our souls, our minds, and our hearts. And when you do, no matter what you're going through, every area of your heart, every area of your, of your inner being and that center of who you are starts to relax. It'll start to feel safe. You'll start to slowly unlock previously closed off, locked areas that you weren't letting the Son of God in, the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you when he comes in and fully dwells. Jesus said, if, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come in and make our home with him. That's to dwell in the book of Revelation, the risen Christ said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door of their heart, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Notice the intimacy in his voice. Notice the love in his voice. Translation, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay if you'll have me. I've got you. Is there any greater promise than that? And then Paul invites us to pray even deeper, to comprehend the love of Christ. He says in verse 17 at the end, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you'll be filled with the fullness of God. This is a prayer of total dominance by the love of Christ. Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers and for us here this morning that we'd be saturated and filled and astonished by a love that's rooted and grounded in our experience with him. This is experiential love. Paul prays that through any circumstance we'd be able to comprehend the width and the length and the height and the depth of a love that surpasses knowledge. A love so high that it reaches to the highest heavens. A love so deep that it goes deep into the human condition, into our hearts, into our brokenness and sin and says, I gave my life for this. A, a, a love so long that it goes from eternity to eternity and a love so wide that it reaches Jew and Gentile and everyone in between. This is multi-dimensional love in 4D. 4K's got nothing on the love of Christ. Paul's trying to use, he's trying to measure the unmeasurable. It's a prayer to experience every facet of this love. But it's a love that you and I literally cannot fathom or understand unless we're totally immersed in it. Unless it's the root system that we draw everything from. Unless it's the foundation and the ground with which we build our lives. Rooted and grounded in love. And Paul said it surpasses knowledge. Translation, it's beyond figuring out. It literally, this love shatters human categories. 
Paul's trying to, he's, with all the words that he can, he's trying to reveal to believers that, that we're a target of the kind of love we spiritually and mentally do not have capacity to handle. There's no box big enough. There's no category you can put this in. There's no, the, the most brilliant minds, if you lined up all the authors, all the most creative, brilliant beings from the, the start of time, none of them collectively, if locked in a room, could imagine or fathom this kind of love. So how does it happen? How does this, how do we as a community of faith comprehend and know a love beyond knowing? How do we know a love that surpasses knowledge? By experiencing it. If you're a parent, or if you remember anything from your middle school years, you're going to have a pretty vivid image of, of what comes to mind when I say these two words. Reading comprehension. I have a 10-year-old and two 13-year-olds in my house, actually in the front row, that would love for these two words to be collectively erased from the dictionary. But it's one of the most important things we learn in school, right? Because it's one thing to know the words, like the nouns and the verbs and the sentence structure, but it takes a whole other level of it to experience the meaning and, and how it all fits together. Listen to how the dictionary defines it. Reading comprehension is the ability to process understand and integrate what the reader already knows. Guys, knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge is the supernatural ability to process, understand, and maybe most importantly, integrate and experience what you and I already know. We don't need more information. We have enough information. We already know it. What we need is power to tangibly experience him in the depths of who we are. It's available to you right now. So when we come to a passage like this, there needs to be an expectation inside of us and as we pray for it. Like holding up God's word to himself and saying, Father, you said this. I want this. Give me what you said I could have. So, so think of it. You and I, we experience, we experience life by, by touching and tasting and feeling and smelling and hearing all of these collective senses make up our experience. You don't experience a steak by knowing about it. You don't experience holding your newborn in your hand by thinking about it. You don't experience going to the, 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 the sight of the ocean, the warmth of the beach, putting your feet in the sand, the sound of the waves, which sounds really good right now, especially during winter break. You don't experience those things by, by imagining them. God, God gave us senses so that we can tangibly and physically enjoy and experience life like this. We, so we'd be captivated by it in our senses to taste the tenderness of a filet, to feel the peach fuzz of my newborn's daughter, my newborn daughter's face as I kiss it for the first time, to feel my toes go into the sand in the warmth of the sun. These are things that he meant for us to experience and he does the same thing with his love. He gave us the senses for that. The scary part, the heartbreaking part, is that you and I can have all the right information about Jesus and still miss Jesus. This means that we can sit here in church all of our lives and we can hear about his love and, and, and read about his love and even sing about his love and still miss his love. We can still not know that love by experience. It seems So some of us know the right answers, but we've never given our lives to the answer. There's an entire generation of people that know what they should know. The Spirit wants to do a deeper work than head knowledge. 
You remember what Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees? Right? These experts in information, these experts in the law, these guys collectively had the, the best and most accurate and correct information about God on the planet. They were the ones, they, they were the know-it-alls. And he came up to him and he said, you search the scriptures thinking you're going to find eternal life. You're searching the scriptures, but I'm right here in front of you and you don't know me. He didn't say you don't know me. He said you don't know me. He said, you know all the right stuff, but you don't know me. There's a massive difference between a profession of faith and possession of faith. If that's you today, if you're, if you're in here and you're thinking, man, that's, it's, it's just a disconnect. It's time to get on our knees and get in this book and realize and believe there is a greater power, a greater experience of God's love than just knowing some things about him and knowing the right things to do and the right things not to do. That's religion. Man, anybody can, can fake that. We can fake that. We can know a lot of stuff and know right and wrong and know what to do and what not to do and some of God's laws, but you know what you can't fake? Genuine, spirit-filled, experiential love of Jesus that spills out and overflows in, the, in your life, in front of, into others' lives. That actually tangibly spills out in your everyday life. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. And if, in Galatians chapter 5, genuine, time-tested love unshakable joy no matter what. And I didn't say happiness, I said joy. That settledness that it's going to be okay no matter what. Abiding peace. At some point we have to actually experience this in our lives. Some of us need to just stop trying to figure it all out and kind of lean in and see what happens. For some of us, this right here is what's been missing from your life. I mean, you might, you might know all about God. You might even say you love God. You, 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 you read his word. You can maybe even recite some scriptures. Maybe you've even done a Bible study before, but something is missing. It's like a, a filament in a light bulb that's, that's, that's just hanging there. Like, you know this light bulb has tremendous power in it. It has power to light the room. It can even set something on fire if it gets hot enough. But there's no connection. The circuit's broken. Like, you have... The knowledge, just you know who Jesus is and you know you can tell somebody what Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's done for you, what he did for the world, some things about him, but you don't have the experience with him. Your heart aches to go deeper with God, but you just can't seem to fan that flame longer than a weekend where you hear a pretty good message. It's because what you're longing for surpasses knowledge. It's not just about knowing more, doing certain things. It's about experiencing relationship and life in the one who is life himself. And when you do, it changes everything. And in verse 20 and 21, look at the purpose of it all. It's for God's glory. Our prayer is that God would get great glory. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a magnificent prayer of hope and expectation. It's the climax, it's the basis of everything we've been talking about the last five weeks. Now to him... To him, to the one who sent his son to dwell in us, sent his spirit to fill us, and sent his love to master us. To him who's able, according to his power, to do far abundantly, the word is super abundantly, above all we ask or think. And notice it doesn't say all we can ask or think. It says according to all we ask 
or think, but we have to ask. Paul is challenging us to think, dream, and pray bigger than we ever thought, dreamt, or prayed in our lives. Not just so we can stand on our own and do some great things or, 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 or do some things in our strength, but for God to bear in us collectively and individually all that he wants to do for his glory, it's to him. Even Paul said the reason that his own ministry was so effective He said, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Every single thing Paul did was according to the power of God and for the glory of God. I think John Piper said it best about us, about you and I collectively as the church. He said, the church exists. You and I exist to be a system of mirrors, perfectly designed to to reflect back to the world the one who designed the body, to reflect back to the world and anybody who's willing to listen that God is infinitely wise. That's why you exist in the church. He says, your destiny and my destiny is to be a visible, living, audible doxology to God. Or better yet, to be mirrors of God's glory. That is why you and I exist. Tom Hanks. In my opinion, Tom Hanks is one of the best actors of all time. I mean, you can think of your own. You might, we can debate that. I'd love to talk to you after the service. But for me, I'm all in on Tom Hanks. Like, he, here's, he, here's who Tom Hanks is when I think of him. He's Forrest Gump, right? He's Mr. Rogers. He's Walt Disney. And he's Woody from Toy Story, all in one person. Just think of the, the, the emotions that those four movies alone elicit, Then he storms the beaches at Normandy and saving Private Ryan. He fights off Somali pirates and Captain Phillips, almost gets to the moon in Apollo 13, and he survives being stranded on a deserted island with a volleyball. And to top it all off, he lands a plane in the Hudson River as Sully. Please find me a better actor than that. Please. It's, and, and he does it so well, I believe he's all these people. When I see Tom Hanks, I'm like, there's Sully, there's Forrest Gump. It's because he's so gifted. Some of these movies had me in all-out tears. I mean, come on. And as much as I enjoy watching Tom Hanks do what he's gifted at, he's still just a man. He's a man who will pass from the scene of history like a wisp of smoke, like the flash of a camera. A hundred years, 200 years from now, his movies won't be remembered as as hard as it is for me to admit. His Oscars are going to be in boxes and any glory that he received will fade from history. Glory to Tom Hanks. Glory on the big screen and glory at the Oscars and glory in our living room for one-tenth of one generation. Amen. It doesn't even come close, does it? Doesn't even compare. Who's your hero? Who are you giving glory to? Who are you looking for for hope and strength when you need it most? Who are you looking to to get get out of bed in the morning and serve and love the world around you? Is it you? Is it your friends? Is 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 it what you think about God or is it God himself? There's one thing I know. There's one thing I can promise you. And it's the same thing that the Apostle Paul's been telling us for over 2,000 years. The only one who's worthy of that place in our lives, in our generation, and in this universe is God himself. Glory to the Most High God. In the church, 
Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. I think the the first answer uh, to the first question of the Westminster Catechism sums it up best for us. It says, what is the purpose of man? The answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right now, right here, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In that one sentence distilled down to 14 words, you and I have the reason we exist. The number one aim of our lives is to find our greatest delight in him, that he would be the ultimate fulfillment of our lives, that he would satisfy everything that we are And that it would be an outflow, everything we do would be an outflow of our experience of his love. That's where inner strength comes from. That's where endurance comes from. That's where the the power to do everything we can do comes from. In any situation, throughout all generations, throughout any amount of suffering, in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. So, do you know him? Do you know him or do you know him? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you, you can say, I, I, I love him, I, I know him, I just need, I, 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 need to, I need to hear him, I need to feel him, I need to experience him, this is your invitation. You've got the checkbook in hand. He will answer. He's faithful and mighty to save if you're not a follower of Christ, you're just sitting here and you're, you're thinking, you're just checking it out and you're still, that's great, that's, that's okay, but I want you to know something. It's not about this. You can hear everything that I said this morning and still not connect it to this. If you feel him just asking you to lean in and dive in, just, just say yes. Make today that day. You don't have to have it all figured out. You're gonna have questions. Just say yes today and experience a love you've never known before. Open that door. Father, we love you. Father, thank you for your love, the inexhaustible riches of your glory and love towards us who believe we don't deserve it. Father, it's, it's, it's unimaginable, it's unfathomable, and it's overwhelming. I pray, Father, that these truths would sink deep into our inner being, in our inner man, and, and, and that we can know together collectively that even though, Father, we might not see you working, even though we might not feel you working at the time, we know you are working. You never stop working. So work, Lord. Do your best. We're praying. We're writing checks because you gave us the checkbook. Be glorified, glory to you throughout all generations. Because of your son, in his name, we pray, amen.